Hi everyone, Data Stories number 35. Hi Moritz, how are you? Great, how are you Enrico? I'm doing fine. I'm doing Fantastic. great actually. Finally we have some warm weather down here. Mm -hmm. How is it going in Germany? Nice, it's super warm. I, I, well actually I just spent oh, a week come in on, Serbia. Super warm, I cannot believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's above zero. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh sure, you Germans call this super warm, yeah. right? Exactly. That's our summer. No, actually, I just came back from a week in uh, in Belgrade for the Resonate Festival, mm -hmm. and we actually wore T-shirts. So wow, that was nice. Cool. Yeah, it was cool. a good festival. Uh, I taught together with uh, my my colleague Dominikus a three day workshop on data visualization. Wow! So we built visualizations with mostly with Tableau and Raw, actually. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And people actually built really nice graphics. I hope we can upload them soon. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah I'm using Tableau as well in, in my class, and students like it a lot. Yeah, cool. Good. It's super it's fast. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, yeah. Robert is there. Sorry. <laughs> I was supposed to jump in yet. Sorry about that. <laughs> Robert agrees. Okay, Robert uh, spoiled our the guest. Show. Oh, man. He the guest. Yeah. 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 No, it worked well, and and Raw is also really nice. It's uh, it's already out from from Density Design. It's a web based application. You uh -huh. can just paste in the CSV and produce all kinds of charts. Uh -huh. It's actually quite similar to Tableau in the sense that you drag your variables to to visual variables, mm -hmm. and they have a new version coming up that's super dope. It's really oh, good. I haven't yeah. tried it yet. I should. Yeah, we 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 received a preview and it's really really great. Cool. Is it? Uh, does it work on the web? Can you use it's it on a, a web page? It's a web-based application, free, open source, and quite extensible and quite mm -hmm. powerful. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Should we start? We have some special guests Absolutely. on the show. We have so, a big topic. We, big we need topic. To, like, we're going to talk about... We're going to not talk. We're going to fight about storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we, if uh, everybody <laughs> agrees with me, uh, everything's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we're in trouble. Yeah. So we have two special, special guests today. We have Robert Cosara from Tableau. Hi, Robert. <laughs> Hi, Rico. <laughs> With a cap probably cappuccino or coffee in his hands. It's <laughs> 7 o'clock in the morning <laughs> there. Uh, sorry, Robert, for waking you up so early. That's good. <laughs> and, um, oh, I'm stuck. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe it's too early for me as well. And we have Alberto Cairo on the show. Hi, Alberto. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. So it's not too early there, right? Now it's a uh, ten something in Miami, something like that. So it's great, yeah. and the weather is very nice. Yeah, as usual. We are on the same. Yeah. No surprise so. there. No surprise <laughs> there. No surprise there. Okay. Um, so we want to talk about storytelling, and uh, Moritz, you want to start with? Um, I think that this whole thing started with your. Um, talk and post later uh, at Visualized when you've been arguing for, no, against storytelling or something like that. You said <laughs> that people shouldn't actually tell story or only stories with visualization, but more explore worlds, right? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. For me, it's been a, a topic I've been thinking about longer. And 
I mean, we also had Robert on the show already like a year or two ago. Um, and I think we started talking about storytelling, especially narrative techniques. And since then, also the topic has really, it's been popping up everywhere, right? Like whenever there was, uh, let's say, whenever data visualization or information graphics was designed in a wider context, for, uh, for me, it felt like it's always connected to storytelling. And it's, it was also, or it's still sort of the default um, explanation why why we do this like often people will say yeah we're telling stories with data and this is you know that's the ultimate goal and in the beginning I thought like yeah that's cool and that's what it's all about and but then the more I thought about the term and the more I also realized how people use it and and what also what external people to our scene connect with the term stories and what they then expect from our information graphics, I felt like maybe the term doesn't really apply all that well. And maybe it's, maybe there's something story-like to, to visualizations, but maybe it's, it's much different from what actually traditional storytelling does, like the kind at the campfire, <laughs> you know, or the, the kind of storytelling we know from novels or the kind of storytelling we know maybe even from newspapers. And so the more I discussed and, and thought about it, the, for me personally, the less I think the term is a good definition of what we actually do. And by now, I'm so cranky that, and, and so like, you know, I've, dis I've over-discussed it. I think we should even not use that term anymore, but that might just be a very <laughs> personal frustration with, with yeah. getting to grips with it. So, and I hope today maybe we find better ways of getting to grips with the term and maybe define a bit more clearly, like, what that type of storytelling is that we do in data visualization, if we do it at all. Storytelling is certainly a very loaded word. Right. And it's a, everybody has his or her own definition of it, but I discovered that it was a very, very loaded word. <clears throat> I mean, we, we in journalism, as you know, I have a background in journalism. We in journalism like to throw out, you know, storytelling all the time. We do stories, we write stories, we draw stories, etc., etc. Uh, but I discovered that it's a very, very loaded word in other areas. When I co-wrote um, a column for Nature Methods magazine a while ago, which I discussed in my blog a while ago, along with um, Martin, uh, Martin Kriswinski. And uh, Martin is a scientist. And we co-wrote that column to basically explain to scientists that journalistic and storytelling techniques could be applied to the communication of science, particularly using graphics. So it was a column about storytelling with visualization. It was about that. And some people received that column quite well, but we also got some pushback from, uh, from several scientists saying that the scientific method itself had been created to fight human's natural tendency to create stories about everything, making, meaning making connections between unconnected points in order to make sense of those points. And I think that there is some, you know, something interesting to take from that, from that conversation. I'm not going to get into that mm -hmm. right now because then I will spoil the entire conversation. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a very interesting angle, actually. The objectivity of whatever we put out there, I think that's a huge topic. And it's very much related to storytelling 
Yeah. Which type of storytelling like did you write about in the scientific context? Was it like illustrating well, abstract well, findings with a concrete scenario? We or? said that for instance, it was actually a very very short column. But we, what we were trying to advocate or to pr uh, propose was that, <clears throat> for instance, when you write a research paper or when you create your research poster or something, you could apply techniques that, that are borrowed and that are well-developed in journalism and traditional graphic design, meaning sequencing the information, layering the information, showing cause and effect, etc., etc. So those kinds of very simple techniques, which we believe at that point that were, there were, you know, basically no-brainers, very common sense. When you write anything, you need to have some sort of a structure, narrative mm -hmm. structure. And when you draw something, perhaps you should also use that narrative structure. So we were trying to propose that method. That went, but well, basically we discovered that some scientists <laughs> disagree with that. Mm -hmm. And for good reason. Mm -hmm. For good reason, I believe. Maybe well, we I can discuss yeah. or collect a bit all the different uses of the term story we have found. Uh, we should do that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and one that I come across quite often, and I think that is is also, um, it's part of our toolbox. Is exactly what you mentioned. Is let's say maybe applying tricks that guide readers in certain directions, like establishing pathways, in a sense that I make sure this is seen first, and then this other thing is seen second, and this third thing is seen third, and together that establishes some. Maybe some temporal order. Yeah, that's not a trick. Order. That's that's what's called a narrative. I mean, that's the whole point of a story: is that you that you that you sequence things and that you have mm -hmm. a, a reason for putting one thing first, another thing next, and then have some kind of of path through your your information. So it, it's that 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 discussion about scientific kind of storytelling strikes me as a bit odd because the question isn't so much about how you how you discover things. But how you communicate them, and those should be, if not entirely separate, then at least distinct, you know, things and ways of doing doing those things. So you wouldn't, you don't have the same processes for for communicating your findings that you have for actually making those findings or mm -hmm. discovering your your information. So to me, there's a lot of of um, confusion about those processes and and not really clear separation of what you're trying to achieve in each of those and that's true not just for science certainly it's true for all kinds of, of visualization as well mm. this actually in, resonates in past, oh, sorry sorry go ahead alberto go ahead. i was about to say that after uh, after that after that article was published and the pushback and then we, we uh, our replies etc were published in Nature Methods magazine. I, I actually have been thinking a lot about how to define the terms that I use in my own writing. I, I threw out storytelling carelessly in, in many previous writings, but I'm much more careful right now. And I try to make a distinction, and I know that it's an unnatural distinction. There's not a clear boundary between the two things, but a boundary between, create a boundary between narrative techniques and storytelling. And I actually was reading a book the other day, actually yesterday, that gave me, or at least suggested, what the difference may be between one thing and the other thing. And it's actually that you point out in several of your writings. And the book is this one. I have it in front of me because I highlighted the part in which I, it talks about it. It's called The Unpersuadables, which is about, you know, it's called, it's subtitled, 
adventures with the enemies of science. So it's about cognitive biases, all that kind of thing. Thinking fast and slow, mm-hmm. these kinds of stuff. But in one of the parts, uh, the author talks about uh, paternicity, which is a term that Michael Shermer uses a lot in, in the book The Believing Brain. And he also talks about stories. Stories in the sense of how the brain processes information and creates sequential, uh, connects uh, events in a sequential manner, even if there is not a causal connection between those events. And he defines a story, a story as we traditionally know it. Uh, He says that a story is a description of something happening that contains some some form of sensation or Mm -hmm. drama. That is the key thing. Drama is an interesting point. That is the thing. It says, it's an explanation of cause and effect, but it is not just an explanation of cause and effect. That is a narrative. A narrative is a a cause, cause and effect connection of events that leads you through the process of understanding information. It becomes a story, according to this author, obviously, when it is soaked in emotion. Mm-hmm. So when you bring the drama, mm-hmm. when you create mm-hmm. a conflict, oh, there, that's, that's right? a you fantastic no- point. Yo, yeah, sorry, you, sorry, you, sorry. You didn't create, want- no, you just say it's, you just, just put things together in a sequential manner. That is something that I do all the time in my work, and everybody does that. Mm-hmm. I believe that, and this creates a narrative. Yeah. But when you do a when you do a narrative in which you have an opening, a conflict, the consequences of that conflict, and the closure or the resolution of that conflict. That's a story. Yeah, it's not just a narrative. If you just so have a cooking I recipe, would, yeah, you know, you don't have a story. You just have a sequence of things that follow each other. But if you have a person cooking and then they drop the egg, <laughs> or you know, so the neighbor rings at the door and suddenly you have a story. But at the same time, I think that's a very, very fine line. I think it's hard to distinguish between, always distinguish between these two things, right? Every single narrative is soaked into some kind of story in the end, right? I think that in, so my point of view is that it's very, very hard to strip away uh, people's point of view and personality. It's much, much better to make it obvious and, and, and clear what's your, what's your position on everything, right? Rather than trying to chase this myth of objectivity. I think even even the, the, the argument made uh, by the scientists is somewhat weird, looks somewhat weird to me. And especially, I think I leave this thing my, myself because I, I, in a way I am a scientist myself. And I know that when I present the results of whatever I study or any uh, scientific experiment, there is all, it's, it's basically impossible to remove yourself from what you've done, right? It, much, much better is to, it develop. cannot be done. It cannot be done. It's just not not possible. So I think a much a much better way is to be aware that you there is always your point of view there and make make it as explicit as possible and be skeptical with yourself as well. I think that's that's the best way to go. But this myth that we can be super objective on everything it looks somewhat weird. And I see a connection with journalism as well. I mean, Alberto, you can tell me if this is true or not. That's, I, I mean, mean a I, journalist. I, about to say, I mean, it's journalists are always striving for objectivity, right? But there's no objectivity the out there. I mean, there, I mean, I was about to say that what you're saying applies directly to yeah, my world, yeah, to, my exactly. era, to journalism. Yeah. There has been this ongoing discussion about objectivity, yes or no. If objectivity, objectivity needs to be dropped as a concept, 
or as a or as a guide or as a, a goal, etc. I don't believe that it needs to. I do believe that we need to think about objectivity, but we need to redefine what objectivity is. Obviously, absolute objectivity is impossible just because we are not objects, we are subjects. Yeah. So we solve things with emotion. But at the same time, as you said, if you are aware or try to be aware of your own biases, you try to curb those biases somehow, etc. You, you are tending to be objective in that sense. Sure. And I think that obviously the boundary we, uh, between what we were describing before, narrative and story, is, is very, very fuzzy. I am very aware of that. But there are certain examples that we can use to explain what, what, where that boundary might be. And I'm going to make an analogy. I love to make analogies to reason. Uh, think about a documentary. A documentary that shows or talks about, you know, a, a very poor neighborhood in a city like mm. Miami. And I'm putting this example because I, I saw a, a project by a student of mine yesterday. That project described or showed the lives of people who live in that neighborhood. The, the student interviewed those people. You hear those people talking about how hard it is for them to live there, etc., etc., etc. But then it has music, very sentimental music mm -hmm, in the mm -hmm, background. Mm -hmm. If the project didn't have music, I would consider it a narrative. It is still soaked in emotion, but the emotion arises from the content of the story, from the, from the content itself, from what those people are, are saying. Mm -hmm. The music is an intervention from the designer. It's a dramatization. It's right? a dramatization that mm -hmm. the designer applies. Mm -hmm. So there is a different, I believe, between the emotions that readers or their viewers take from the story that you're telling, from the narrative that you're taking, and the emotions that, you're try, that you try to push or that you try to instill in the story that you're telling. Mm -hmm. I believe that the boundary lies in there. And we have seen examples of visualizations recently that do that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So you could talk about mind. like maybe the most like abstract or... Um, distanced way would be just to report averages of of poverty yeah and let's say countrywide statistics and the middle ground would be to to show individual um actual poor people and, and tell a bit about their lives and and then you have the most extreme case of doing that and adding additional emotional triggers let's say just to make sure everybody gets that the situation is really bad so that is probably the spectrum and maybe on the one end you have like yeah just seeing the world as something you measure and and uh, yeah uh, like a lab <laughs> and on the other end you have this the pure emotion and and you don't yeah you sort of switch off all rationality and just follow your your instincts and your heart right I know that Robert has a different definition of story. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I was going to so. say there's also a danger, of course, when you, uh, maybe that's also why people are a bit skeptical about story, is because what you're just describing can also become a bit of a tearjerker, and you're just kind of, you're going for this full kind of emotional effect rather than really talking about facts and making the facts the thing that, that really is your story or that becomes the main part of what you're trying to say. You're going for, you know, full-on emotion and just kind of, you know, crying babies and whatever. So it's just it's just a bit too <laughs> it's too easy to, in, in a sense. So I, I like sometimes I, I feel cheated by those stories because you right. just, it can become too easy to to make it dramatic with certain kind of triggers in a way. 
So, um, so yeah, so I've, I've been thinking about this. And of course, in response to Moritz kind of arguing against story in his posting a while ago, I've been thinking about how this, how this should work. And maybe I'm not clear about the definition here between, or the distinction, I should say, between story and narrative. But, but either way, maybe if, even if we just go with narrative, what I think is important is to lead people into a story or into, I shouldn't say into a story, lead people into... Insights. Uh, well, lead them into a new, a new collection of data, a new collection of facts that they haven't seen before. So, if I've never heard about some part of Miami, or if I've never heard about, if I've never thought about certain data, um, because it's about, I don't know, you know, um, trying to come up with a good example here. I don't know, Climate. So, for example, there was one story a while ago. Uh, this is in the New York Times in 2007 or so about the Copenhagen talks on uh, climate change, and they were interested in showing how different countries were arguing for different kinds of limits on CO2 production based on different ways of measuring that. And so, if you've never thought about that, of course, the obvious thing is you measure the amount of stuff that gets produced, right? CO2 that gets that gets put out. But, but that's not necessarily how people think about that because these discussions, a lot of those are about how do you measure that relative to something, like mm -hmm. relative to population, relative to GDP and so on. And so then you want to introduce people to these different perspectives because they're important. That's, that's the whole thing. This is what they spend a week doing is they argue about what way of measuring this is the right way. And then, of course, there are lots and lots of little things as well. But you introduce people to something different and new that they haven't seen before. And so here, this is where I see the narrative coming in. It, it, it doesn't just throw you in there and say, well, here's data, and, and you have to figure out, well, why are there 15 different ways of measuring this thing? But here is a reason why we, different countries and different whatever stakeholders, whatever people who have different interests here, want to measure things differently because they look the, the, the data looks better you know seen from one way than from the other way and so you can show mm -hmm. that and this is what that particular graphic did I'm, I'm going to add uh, a link to, to that in the in the notes for uh, for this podcast and when you see that it becomes very clear and so you you kind of let into this and then you can do it with you for your own exploration from there and so this yeah. is where i see narrative being really important it tells you it, it gives you a bit of an introduction it can give you some some of that cause and effect. It's also very dangerous when you talk to scientists about it because they were going to tell you, well, have you proven this? Is there, is there you know, actual causality here? And of course, most of the time there isn't. Right. But the point is yeah. that you use that to imply the causality or you claim the causality and then you use that to kind of lead people into that and then they can, they can follow up on, on, on those claims themselves and figure out if they believe you or not. So I think those is are this good. something that also a good teacher maybe would do, like have a sequence Absolutely. of yeah. like facts and or like complex constellations of something and explain to you why he or she would first show this and, and what insights you can gain and then uh, go into details of the problem or show another side of the same metal, let's say. Or maybe also something Hans Rosling will do, like he has complex, you know, talks about global economics and um, guides you through um, a whole sequence of, of complex constellations there. Mm. This resonates a lot, me obviously, being a journalist. Uh, obviously, when you're... One, one of the, all right, let me go back a little bit. Uh, one of the main 
mistakes. So one of the things that worry me the most about the recent discussion about storytelling, yes, storytelling, no, is that we are, I, I believe that people, we people who are writing about this discussion are not thinking about, are not thinking enough about the purpose of what we do and who the audience for the things that we do is. Because it is not the same thing to do a visualization for scientists than doing the same visualization for a general audience. And I think actually that this is one of the main mistakes that is inherited from the past. It's one of the main mistakes that I believe that Edward Tufty makes in all his books. He basically assumes in the background, you can notice that, that he assumes that everybody is a statistician and that everybody cares a lot about the data and everybody's going to spend half an hour exploring the very complex graphic that you have in front of you. That is not true. It's untrue. You have to somehow seduce readers, particularly if you're addressing to addressing your product or your visualization to a general audience, you have to guide them, as Robert said, eh, eh, through the process of understanding the foundations or the basics of the story. Let's use that word in a loose sense there. Eh, eh, and then you let them explore the data if, you, if they want to. If they don't, at least they will walk away with a basic understanding what the main messages are. Yeah, yeah, that's the point why I don't agree anymore, I think. And you said something interesting. And I mean, we all have our background, right? And I come more maybe from a technology slash design background and and you come from a journalistic background and you said readers. And so, of course, you know, you think in terms of, of, of media publications and you have like people producing them and then you have an audience that you're addressing. And I think that that sort of formula... Imply, you know, the inverted pyramid that you make sure people get the gist of a story, even if they just read the headline. And mm-hmm. if they jump off after the first paragraph, they should still have the most basic facts. And then you get into mm-hmm. the details. Mm-hmm. I think that applies really well when there is a, a fixed or a pre-made news story to be communicated. In fact, in a classical media communication situation where you have like a, a broadcaster and a recipient, more or less. Um, And I think that applies to a lot of cases where we use data visualization and where it can be used very successfully, but I think it's not all. I think there's also many cases where, um, where the thinking about it as a, as a specific message has to be broadcasted, it leads us, you know, maybe into the wrong direction. Well, not necessarily. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be a, me- a particular measure. I think what you're getting to is there, what if you have a large collection of data and you don't want to necessarily give people just that, so like throw them in there, but give them a reason to explore. I think this was also what, what Alberto was talking about. So I'm not, exactly. it's not just that mm. I'm telling you the whole story, but I want to, here's a lot of stuff, here's a lot of data, and I want, you to, I want to give you a few starting points because otherwise, how are you going to know where to start or, or whether there is actually... But let's look at, for instance, a concrete example. So, so Map of the Market is one of my really my, my all-time favorite visualizations. So it's a tree map. We had Ben Schneiderman on the show, so uh, he invented this. Uh, of all the stock market movements in, in, I think, you know, in a certain time period. And you can use it just to quickly get an overview of the stock market situation right now. You will immediately see maybe technology stocks doing really well today and you know other stocks doing really really badly and it will change every day and 
on some days it looks boring, on other days it looks exciting, but it's always a display. You know, it's it's a different window into the world, let's say, and it's a specific thing you can look, uh, yeah, a certain window you can look through how the world looks on that particular day. And I, I don't even see how that would benefit or how it would need storytelling. You know, it's, it's a beautiful, uh, very it effective may, and, and very like exciting tool to, to look at the world. And I think it's it a very not, fine use of visualization. It may not benefit from a storytelling per se, but it can benefit from annotation and highlighting, you know, the main points of the day. Because otherwise, I mean... Again, it all depends on the audience. If you, go, if you do that visualization and you just have stock market analysts in mind, that is the thing to do. You just present the data. They will figure it out themselves just because they have the right knowledge uh, to approach that visualization. And they will be, uh, beforehand, they will be interested in that topic. So they will be invited and they will feel invited uh, and compelled to explore the visualization. But if you want to broaden the scope, and bring in people that are not necessarily interested in that in that topic. Uh, you should you should present the entire complexity of the data. So I'm not against that. I love exploratory visualizations as much as anyone else here. But it doesn't hurt to write a headline and several pointers saying, "Hey, see what's going on today. Take a look at this company here. Take a look at this company." But Those isn't are the this entry a, isn't this a different notion of story then? I mean. I, to me, that is why you know, that's why I mean the, the term is so, you know, to me, that's, that's um, annotation and annotation or, or like thinking about um, contextualizing the information or, as you said, highlighting. But, you know, to me, that's, that's so fundamental, like user interface design in a way, you know, I, I don't even think about storytelling at that no, moment. But, but I, you know, I don't feel no, like I'm making I, I a Hollywood movie. I, I don't know, can I? That don't have annotation. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, don't know, I, I, I don't know what, what I'm supposed to see. <laughs> so I think there is a key question here. Are we arguing for saying that every visualization is in a way or another storytelling? I don't think so. I'm not, no, I would never, would. right? No, I think would. I'm sure that everyone agrees that there are many, many other visualization out there that are not storytelling, right? So I think that I, I totally believe that. So I think they that are good. I'd like to establish that. That's my standpoint. Yeah. There are many, many visualizations <laughs> out there that are not storytelling and they are good. Sure. Right? And so I don't, or, or in other ways, there are not every visualization has to have has to be a storytelling visualization. And I think that's in a way also the problem I have with the term myself is that if you look around, it looks like that visualization is almost only about storytelling, right. and I think it's not. No, there no, is so much not. more out there, right? I think that's that's the only risk I see on this over this big hype around uh, around storytelling. But let's let's talk about about discover interesting interesting data or interesting information. If you do it through a story or through other means, I don't mind. But it's a process of discover. Sorry, I interrupted, Robert. No, that's fine. So I just wanted to talk a bit about this example a bit more because I think it's a really it's a really good one. So the the map of the market, as Moritz was just saying, is it can be really interesting and it can be totally random, right? And so the reason you think it's interesting is because you've seen it in configurations when it was interesting. If if you if somebody goes there and just looks at it and and just sees a random red and green there, they're going to say, well, this doesn't make any sense to me, and 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 that that's going to be it. So the the way you can t show people that this can be interesting is you give them an introduction. You show them, look, on this day, 
it was all red and there were two green spots. It was really interesting because there were those two things that were mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the only ones that were okay at the, on that day. Mm -hmm. And then you show some and other you tie examples. back to the real world and, right. and sort of so explain you've got, you've got why. Really interesting yeah. configurations and, and actually I have some screenshots like that. I, have, I used it when I was teaching because that's how you introduce people to, in this case, to the visualization mostly, is to say, look, this is a way of showing data that's really interesting that in some cases can give you some really interesting insights that you wouldn't be able to get any other way. And, and so here's my little story that shows you a few examples and, or narrative mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it. And now I've introduced you not so much to the data because the stock market is something that most people know, at least have some idea of. But here's an introduction to this tech technique and to this way of working with the data and why it can be a good idea. But that can be really mm -hmm. important if you want to get people to understand why why a lot of people think that this was a really brilliant way of showing the data. Mm -hmm. Because if you mm -hmm. just go there, I don't know, today perhaps, though today is probably going to be interesting because all the tech stocks are down, but you're going to, so you're going to see a structure, but if you go there on a day when it's all, you know, all random stuff, then it's not going to be interesting. So giving people a sense of why they should care and why a certain visualization can be a good thing and why it, it you know, a different way of looking at the data other than the usual you know, stock market uh, line charts is a good thing to, to do, you need good examples and you need to, to guide them into mm -hmm. this. And that's exactly where this, this kind of notion of narrative comes in. And, and even if, yeah, if it's... That's really interesting. Not necessarily a real, real story as such. I mean, Gapmind is a really boring software, let's be honest. <laughs> it, it's like dry as, as the desert, yeah? But it but, is not boring. But, when, but when, when it's performed, and I'm yeah. saying performed right, exactly. really yeah. by Hans Rosling, it's like yeah. he's playing Gapminder. You know, he plays a Gapminder for you. <laughs> Then it becomes exciting. No, and yeah. I think that's interesting. And this distinction is interesting that there might be the visualization itself and then a person, you know, contextualizing it or mm. a person showing you why it's interesting or a person... Mm. Um, performing it for you. So this, this idea of software performance is, is, is very interesting, or information performances, I think, in this context. So are I you, in a way, suggesting that storytelling is, could be a way to actually teach people how to play the visualization instrument? Sure. For instance. Absolutely, for instance. Yeah. I think that's actually really important sure. because a lot of people aren't familiar with, with visualization at all. And they have a lot of trouble understanding things. And, and that's also why, and, and really reading a visualization, especially one that's a bit more complicated. Like I know uh, years ago, five years ago or so, Matt Erickson gave a talk at the Viz conference and uh, he, he did the keynote of the capstone. And he said, I'm not sure if he did, said it in, in the talk or, or when we talked afterwards, but he said that the New York Times would never print a scatterplot. And they've done oh, scatterplots yeah, in the meantime. That. And, and those have had explanations, they've had annotations, they've had lines in them to show you where the main diagonal was and so on. So you could read it even if you didn't understand or if you didn't know how to read a scatterplot. So telling people, giving them hints, even if they're very, and actually especially when they're very subtle and when they're kind of leading you through what, what this t tells you why the points are a certain point and what that actually means, that can be really extremely, I mean, this, this is almost crucial if you're talking to mm -hmm. a broad audience. And, and that's where the story comes in, because you're looking at a whole bunch of, 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 of points or a whole bunch of lines. Uh, Charles and Coram had this, this fantastic um, visualization of, or this fantastic um, piece, this infographic, I guess, whatever you want to call it, in the New York Times a few years ago about the prisoners in Guantanamo that won the best of show at Melofi two years ago that had lines for each prisoner in there. And 
reading that actually took a, took a while. It's really, there's actually a lot of data and it wasn't very clear what the payoff was, but there were annotations that, would, that kind of guided you through. And so now there's, there suddenly was, was a reason for you to, to care and to, to look through it and really get a sense of just how many people there were were there and how long they'd been there and so on. So you started to understand the data. Mm-hmm. Just showing the lines by themselves wasn't pretty boring. But, but having that annotation and having a, a visual guide through that just made that really effective. So there's, it's, it's obviously not just about the data. Data is important, obviously. Without data, there's just nothing. But you mm-hmm. have to guide people into it, both into what the data is and how it's shown, and, and give, give them a way to understand what, what you're trying to tell them and, and why they should care about it. So there's more mm-hmm. than just mm-hmm. yes, a few data yes, so summarize, you have to figure it out. Summarize a little bit, just to be clear. We are talking about several different things here. All of them, all these techniques are related or are intended to help readers. Or, sorry, Moritz. Participants, <laughs> please, people, participants. Participants, people, people. Exactly. people yeah. People. Exactly. Friends and well, colleagues. For me, viewing and visualization same. is reading the visualization. So anyway, people. Helping <laughs> people understand the data better. You can do that you know, by many different means. And if we talk about uh, the techniques that we are discussing here, one of them is annotating things to highlight the things that are important. When you connect those annotations in a logical sequence, you may be creating a narration, and when you somehow instill some emotion in it, you will have, you may have a story. I mean, there will be some disagreements in here, but I think that we should make a difference here. Or be it's two different things, like the emotional part and the sequence story. part. I think, yeah, exactly. or the annotation part. I, I absolutely agree. I, I think there's also a third yeah. dimension we haven't discussed yet. Maybe you wanted to come to that, but stories often also seen as information of relevance. Like a journalist, a journalist might ask, "Is there a story there?" That is Asking for, is that something people want that to know? A, you know, a test, a <laughs> test that we can apply to any visualization, I believe, is the so what test. <laughs> I hate <laughs> this, this question. Oh, man, I hate this question. The, I, I know that you were going to hate it. But, you know, I, I myself, as a visualization designer, so someone who knows how to read complex charts, navigate complex interfaces, you know, read a lot of data... I see some visualizations somehow <laughs> that make me ask myself. And so, oh, uh, don't yeah, so. tell! I just brought a little piece about that. A, a little yeah, rant very about frustrated. that. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a very good rant, actually. Yeah, yeah. I actually feel a bit guilty, but Enrico, yeah, which yeah, visualization was it? Will you tell me? I can't. No, I don't want to tell it. But was you, it one of mine? No, of course, <laughs> of course not. But I, I don't know. It was, I was frustrated it because it, it was. I mean, some people afterwards said. So I don't want to talk too much about that post. But anyway, um, some people afterward commented, "Oh, junk chart. This looks like the usual junk chart thing." But I think it's different because there are some quite clever visualization out there right now that looks really, really good in principle. But after you've been watching them, there's nothing really interesting to to get out of it. And this worries me because sometimes these are very well crafted in terms of user interface, being clean and neat, using some nice data. It doesn't look like junk chart, okay? And, but can and, I ask you one thing? Yeah, When sure. you read the newspaper, yeah, how many of the articles really touch you? Like, I, you know, I, I could ask for 95% <laughs> of newspaper articles, so what? But at the same time, I know for other people it will be different. So they are there for a reason, you know. Some people are interested in the oil industry or insurances or whatever, but I'm not. But, you know, I still, I 
I'm okay with them being there. I just don't read these articles. But they still try to make clear why you should care. If you read international no, if you read a newspaper, I mean, you, they just present the stuff and that's Well, it. but sometimes, I mean, or in many cases, they try at least to suggest the, the very fact that the articles are there is just, you know, a suggestion that the, the journalist is thinking that you should care. Yeah. But some, sometimes that is explicit in the article. You know, yeah. this is affecting people in other countries, or mm. this may affect the economy, or so the the very fact or the very action of writing the story in a particular way, and it, it makes you put the uh, a, a, the explanation of why the story matters inside. Uh, I don't see that in visualization or, or in many visualizations, or at least I believe that. Even if the designer has a particular purpose in mind, or even the designer th knows why that matters, there is a misconnection there between what she's trying to say and what I get from the visualization. All those tones of lines and, and bubbles and beautiful objects, etc., they may not say or tell anything to me as a reader. No, but my, uh, can I tell something else? I think my standpoint is more like I feel pity for people who spend, uh, of course, you have to have spent quite a lot of time gathering the data, writing the code, making it beautiful, create a web page. It's a, it, and I'm sure that people behind that are clever people, right? So mm. I feel bad for these people that they are spending so much time trying to do something beautiful. It's something that from the aesthetic point of view, it looks beautiful, but it doesn't communicate anything. And I think it's a waste of time. <laughs> I see Robert laughing. I see what <laughs> Robert, you want to say something? No, uh, so I, I have a, a couple of things to say about that. It's, it's the, there's, there's one part to this is that there are, of course, different audiences. And so, for example, I, I couldn't care about the whole, you know, sports section of, of most newspapers, so I, I'm not going to read any of that. But that doesn't mean that nobody cares about that kind of stuff. Then, then there's the question of if, you're, if you have an audience that cares about the general topic, can you make something interesting for them? And that, of course, that's what, what journalists do, hopefully, otherwise they're not going to be in business for very long. But then there's also, and this is kind of the third part to this, is that sometimes there's data. And somebody decides, let's do something with this data. And that yeah. very often turns into a total nightmare because you have, there's just, and especially when you look at, and this is what bugs me so much about many of these open data things, like data.gov and many others, there's, I don't know how many, 300,000 data sets there now <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. But most of it is just totally boring data nobody cares about. I mean, really nobody cares about unless you're, I don't know, your, your job is to run the, because the, the garbage collection is just uh, outside here and making a lot of noise. I hope you're not hearing that in my microphone. But if you care about garbage collection in some part of Seattle, then that, that's <laughs> what you want to do. And some, maybe at some point this is going to be interesting to somebody because maybe there's some issue and, you know, and somebody digs up that data and it's actually interesting. But most of the time, in many cases I've seen this, somebody then says, well, let's just go out, find some data and make something with it. And then they, they're, you know, they wonder why nobody cares about what, what they've created. So you can create something really cool and really beautiful out of data that just not, that isn't interesting, that doesn't have any interesting insights in it. And then I think that's where the so what question comes in. So if you don't but tell me anything I new, think that can be a value per se. Like if you, if you establish that the data set is boring, A, it's not surprising, most data sets are boring. 
And second, at least you have established that fact. Yeah, but it's an interesting and, and fact. And still people might get a sense of the general <laughs> distribution of values or, you know, or at least we have learned, yeah, it's pretty much as, as expected. You know? Yeah, but that, that's that something you want to... I don't session. care to hear about 10,000 data sets that you found that aren't interesting. <laughs> right? So Can I was just not, not something I want to read about in the morning in my... In my, okay. know, in my I want to learn before <laughs> why you think they are interesting. Yeah. Now, in general, of course, I agree. But just to play Advocatus Diaboli, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's also sometimes worthwhile to teach people that not every data set is super exciting. So this is something when I teach, people true. have often too high expectations like you know they will visualize this excel sheet <laughs> and there will be like a sensation in every single chart and i'm like ah, a sensation is maybe one out of 100 charts you know you need to do a few more of these before you get like a real you like a, a smoking gun yeah exactly yeah, and people have lost that sense because everything they're presented with on the web or somewhere is always like you won't believe one weird trick to <laughs> make a list out of 10 <laughs> things <Exactly>. yeah still, <laughs> you still know. when you analyze data and when you visualize data <laughs> If, if you want to call this yourself a visualization designer, not a visualization artist, if you want to be an artist and visualize data and you know create something incredibly beautiful and amazing with data, that, that's great. And I will enjoy your visualization just because I know that your goal is not to communicate clearly, is to you know some, somehow uh, you know, make some emotions arise by the, be displaying those data in an interesting, in an interesting way. But if you're going to do visualization, you have to think about that so what question, what you're trying to show, why the thing matters, what the story, let's use that word again, matters, and convey that clearly at first. Hey, here's what you why you should care about this, and present that, and show that. And this is not something, by the way, this is a point that I wanted to make before. This is not something that relates, relates or that is inherited or borrowed from the world of journalism or traditional graphic design. Statisticians do that as well. A, a, a book that I mentioned in a, in, a, in a podcast on Friday is a, a Statistics as Principled Argument from Robert Abelson. Abelson was a statistician at the University of Yale. And in the introduction to that book, he basically says, when, I am, when I'm explaining statistics to my students or analysis to my students, one of the first things that I tell them is, don't just open the data set and start playing around with it. Think about if you were going to report your research in the newspaper, what would the headline be? That is the so what question. So it's not just designers or journalists, even statisticians. And it doesn't need to be just a single headline. It could be several headlines, several different insights that you can extract from the data. You have to ask yourself what, what those are and then present those clearly to people, to your audiences, particularly if you're creating your visualization to, for general audiences, not for specialized audiences. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, I think there is talking about statistics. There's a whole branch yeah. of statistics that's called descriptive statistics. True. And it's just about characterizing how the texture, let's say, of different data sets is. It's not about proving something scientifically or like determining probabilities, how you know how probable it is that a certain hypothesis is just about characterizing the nature of a certain data set. And many of the insights you gather there are not very suited for headlines. You know, but they're hard yeah. to verbalize. Um, they they don't often surprise you. I mean, a headline is usually, should be 
new relevant information that is also sure. a bit surprising. And so anything that already confirms existing knowledge is not headline worthy, but it can be good to know it. It could be headline worthy. We have discovered the evidence of this preconceived idea that everybody thinks about. Here is the data that confirms that. That is a headline. It could be a headline. And at the same time, we have to remember that we may be talking about different kinds of visualizations here. It is not the same to create a visualization to communicate than to create a visualization to explore the data set, data set yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not the same thing. What I'm saying is that if you want to communicate with general audiences, that is a, something that I, that I advise to do, to yeah. think about the so what factor. Yeah. Why should people care? But I think that's, that's what you're talking about. Of course, about. I agree to some degree. But I think if we overstress this point, the relevant or to justify your work always in one sentence and just focus on the elevator pitch, I think then we're um, we're losing a whole um, or we're, we're narrowing our spectrum of what we allow ourselves to do in a way that is very, I think it's a pity. Because for instance, like another one of my favorite. Points. You don't need to have just one. Right. Entry point, uh, of course. Which is but something for instance, that Robert look at, mentioned before. Look at Aaron Coblin's flight patterns, for instance. You know, it's something that works straight away. I think on a very visceral level, it. it I think it touches you personally to to just see like thousands of planes. You know, ab abstraction of these planes in motion, and I do think you get a hard to verbalize but a very visceral sense of what flight traffic is, and how it feels like how how the flight traffic of a day over the United States feels like. And it's this is not headline-worthy. It's, it's an experience of information that, that is hard to put in words, but I think it's, it's, it's valuable. Oh, of course it is valuable. But think about, it's a, that's a very beautiful example. As it is right now, it is a very good visualization. But again, would it hurt to show me the exceptions, <laughs> the surprising facts mm. there, the things that I was, ex I was expecting but are not true, mm -hmm. or the things that I was expecting are and are true and unconfirmed mm -hmm. by the data. Mm -hmm. You can only do that through annotation or by highlighting important things. So you can have both. Mm -hmm. You can have the emotional experience that, that Aaron created, which is wonderful, and then you can have the more, you know, let's say, the editorial voice mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in there that points out a the commentator, more or less. the commentary, yeah. yeah. but then you have the you have the soccer game and the commentator. And for me, it you know it's a different. It could even be different persons creating that. And I'm not sure if we should oblige the soccer players <laughs> to to comment their own game all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you mean that they are not articulate enough? Yeah, <laughs> they're busy playing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Robert, what, what's but, your yeah, what's so your I'm, stance I'm thinking on this? You're the only expert, really. A few so. different things here. <laughs> One is there. There is certainly something here about uh, the experience and kind of the, the the magnitude of something, especially when you talk about the flight patterns. One that so I'm not arguing that you need uh, a story for everything. And there are things, especially the flight patterns and maybe also like the wind map that are, I don't want to say obvious, but they're so kind of self-explanatory and you know enough about them that you can understand them if you spend, you know, a second thinking about mm -hmm. what you're seeing and how this is show, shown to you. So that they're, they're, they're almost obvious. 
and then you can kind of experience just the amount of stuff that's happening or the the interestingness of the wind patterns and the structures you can you can see there and maybe even use your existing knowledge about uh, geography to, to figure out okay why is there a ridge line here and there and so on and and then maybe with the flight patterns you can see things like why are there flights starting on the east coast of the US you know going west earlier than the other way around and so on so it's, it's kind of you can use a lot of existing knowledge to figure that out and it's actually kind of fun to explore that Plus, there's this whole thing about just look how much stuff there is. So there is this, that's actually a posting I'm going to be writing pretty soon. There's this video about uh, flights in Europe. And you can see all these, these planes going, you know, around Europe. And it's just about the, the, the amount of stuff that's going on, the number of flights, the number of planes that are in the air at any one time. It's, it's just a common amazing. briefing for data visualization jobs, like just show how much stuff Right, exactly. Have. But that's a different way of doing things. So this is more, this is not about, any kind of specific thing because all the, th the specific things are actually really hard to see. Like uh, in particular that, that one, so this is part of my argument there is that when you look at, for example, that, that this is, I forget what they're called, but there, this is some company in, in the UK that did, that made that. And you have this kind of this slightly uh, moving 3D map where you see the, the planes coming into London and they all line up and, and, then, and then land in, uh, you know, in Heathrow and in Gatwick. And that's fine, but you don't actually see that because they're all taking the same path. So you're losing a lot of information there about how many are landing in the same spot. You can see them when they're spread out and they're going into different places, but when they're actually landing, they all merge into one thing, essentially. So there's a lot of, if you're looking for actual information about how many planes there are taking off and landing in, in, uh, at Heathrow, or uh, what you also see, if you know it, and then you can kind of see that pattern, is this the way they kind of slot the planes that go to the US into these, um, these lanes and how they're kind of layered and how they're spaced out. It's pretty interesting to see, but once you've seen that, um, that, that famous infographic, and I forget who, forget who did that, uh, this is from like a decade ago or so, that, that describes that, that how that works. Um, that has that then you know what to look for and then you can kind of see that pattern and you're going to recognize that so there's a lot of information here that's not actually given to you but if you have that that if you know what what that is you can you can read that and other than that it's mostly just look at how much stuff there is it's like stacking up you know cups and saying well look at how much this would fill up uh, manhattan <laughs> most and, cups ever right so you kind of get that <laughs> yeah. sense but it's not so it's not yeah. a much it's so the data there's a lot of detail here that mostly just shows you magnitude overall, but it doesn't actually give you detailed information. So it's, about, it's really more about experience of kind of being thrown into all this data and saying, wow, there's so much stuff here. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, here are 15 facts that I can show you here because I have this data now, I could actually point things out to you that you, might, right. that you wouldn't actually probably see unless you know about them. And, and when he presents, like when Aaron Coblin presents the flight patterns, he points out exactly exactly right this so is the he performance says, part, now right. the west coast goes asleep watch out now there the all the planes from europe coming in right. and that makes it again with his performance you know he performing yeah. it makes it the complete piece in a way i i i, yeah, <laughs> uh, I sort of agree yeah, but still you're uh, moving toward our side yeah, yeah i have a hard dangerous. time yeah, should yeah, be careful yeah. with that <laughs> can we talk about a fourth thing because i think it's important and you pointed out also, Robert, in your blog post, is what actually happens in people's minds. And, and we also had a listener question from Aldo. And I think that's the most, let's say, powerful mechanism in storytelling, but also the most dangerous one is the fact that 
we have a rich imagination and we need just little cues and a little situation to be presented with. And we think it further or we extrapolate from well, the facts that are presented that's to one us. Thing, but or the, how does that work? The other thing is also yeah. that memory uh, has this very strong narrative component. So you, you remember things much more clearly mm -hmm. when, when you've been told a story rather than just individual facts. And there's quite a bit of research on that. It's not specific to visualization at this point, but I think yeah. that we're going to see more of that coming out also for visualization. But essentially what happens is that if you... And this is... So th that also kind of plays into this whole causality thing. So if, if somebody tells you a story, that even if it's a very simple story and it's got a couple of things happening, you know, somebody does this and that, if those are connected facts and there's a reason why uh, the later actions uh, happens because of the earlier action, then you're going to remember the story and you're going to be able to re retell it much more clearly than if somebody just gives you facts that are disconnected. So that's one thing. The other thing is when you throw in uh, additional data. So if there's been an, there was an experiment uh, a while ago where they told people a story or they gave them a story and that had kind of a very bare bones structure and it just told them something. And then they added lots of uh, irrelevant detail uh, to it that had like, you know, little embellishments about what people were wearing, whatever. But it wasn't relevant to the actual... Adjectives, basically, right? Right, just just little chart chunk in a way. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what chunk. happened is that people didn't remember those embellishments, but they did remember the story more clearly. So they had a better memory of the story. So it helps your memory to have more little hooks to kind of hook into the, uh, the your, your, your memory and to kind of tie things together, even if you don't remember the actual little pieces there. So... There's a lot of a lot to be said if you care about people remembering your, your message and, and your uh, your concern and your story, to tell them a story rather than just give them a few facts. So we, we like mm -hmm. to think that you know if you if you explore something yourself, you can remember it, and it's true to an extent. But when it's a lot of data and you explore different things, you're gonna forget the things you explored for earlier. And so if you somebody see the trees, but you don't see the forest. right exactly. So that can be that's a big danger, and so mm -hmm. having a somebody piece together a story and making turning it into a sequence and having that sequence be well structured well designed is actually very valuable and that can help you a lot if you're, if you're trying to gain a better understanding and also kind of gently be introduced to something and then also to remember it later so that that's that's mm -hmm. a big part of it and there's some work on that because the question was about uh, I think uh, work on cognition in in visualization uh, with storytelling and and there hasn't I don't think there's anything yet except maybe for this paper by Jessica Hullman and uh, the folks at Microsoft Research uh, that's called the deeper understanding of sequence in narrative visualization that mm -hmm. has a bit of that I, from what I remember the study was about they had a study in there but I'm not sure if that was actually measuring memory so much or um, or it was mostly ratings that people gave. But there is a bit of work and it's starting, but I think we're going to see a lot more of that going forward. Memories is a really interesting topic. And th there's, there's also other research suggesting that if you tell people a story, they will, of course, fill in the blanks with the plausible explanations and for the motivations of the characters or what is what is a good continuation mm -hmm. of or yeah, how to fill in the, the steps you have told them, like the space between the comic panels, more or less. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems is with memory is we don't remember the 
the facts we were presented with, but only the whole thing. And we cannot separate anymore what have we extrapolated or guessed at that time to be a plausible continuation and what was presented, exactly. And that's a huge problem in 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 trials, like, you know, when a jury has to decide. And it's a well-known phenomenon that we, in the end, the memories we have are the stories we constructed at in real time, more or less. Yeah. But, I mean, one of the things to remember also, and again, we know, taking a step back, is that we create stories no matter what. So even, as you are saying, and this relates to visualization, even if you present a, a visualization in which you just show, just show uh, flight patterns all over the world with tons of different lines, people will create their own stories. They will start making connections, mm -hmm. they will mm -hmm. see a pattern here, another pattern there, and they will start unconsciously connecting those points in a narrative way or in a storytelling way. So I wonder if we should be aware of that as well when design, when we design visualizations. Creating visualizations for exploration may not be enough, particularly when you, again, when you're creating something for a general audience. If you're creating it for a specialized audience, fine. The kind of insights or the kind of connection that it will make will probably be right just because they go to the visualization with the right knowledge in order to extract meaning from that visualization. But if you're talking to a general audience that in which you cannot assume that kind of previous knowledge, the potential for uh, errors and mistakes on the part of the audience are huge. The potential is huge in there. And you will, they will start seeing patterns and connections and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if, you know, again, if annotation, narrative, and storytelling are not very useful tools to avoid those kinds of mistakes. Hey, you may be seeing a pattern here, but that pattern is not really there, right? <laughs> it looks really yeah. interesting, but it's not the mm -hmm. right thing to look for. That's mm -hmm. what I mean. We are speechless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, wow. It's <laughs> even more complicated than I it's thought. very complicated. <laughs> but more, one question, like, I mean, have, have we covered all the meanings, the potential meanings mm. of stories? So we had the emotional aspect, like anecdotes or like human stories we can relate to. We had the sequencing. We had presentation, performance, some commentator, somebody guiding you through things. Mm. Um, we had the relevance, we had the so the so what factor, uh, which I only halfway subscribed to. Uh, <laughs> um, are we are we mean? Is there is there another relevant meaning of the term, or have we covered all bases? I, I cannot think of anything else. Yeah, but think, perhaps yeah. people writing comments in the uh, underneath the podcast will come up with other possible. Meaning and the, uh, the obviously this is a very open-ended discussion. Uh, we are at very early stages stages of the conversation. But which which meaning of the word would you recommend that we actually use as the right one, or are they all uh, like okay or all good? Or, or what, what's your take on how? I think we should you know debate a bit like how we use the word because we should come up with like a. I mean, I can explain how why will try to use the word storytelling in my own future writing. I'm, I'm not saying that it's a right definition, but as I said before, I see a, a difference, you know, not very clear, blurry boundaries, whatever you want, but with, between annotation, narrative, and storytelling. 
So annotation is just highlighting important things. Mm -hmm. Narrative is when mm -hmm. you create a connection, a sequential mm -hmm. connection perhaps, between those points. And story is when you instill or when you introduce the drama in there, the conflict, the uh, characters. You try to, let's say, artificially, quotation marks in there, artificially introduce the drama into the narration. You just, just don't let the narration talk by itself, but you force that, let's say, uh, <laughs> down reader's throats, mm -hmm. reader's throats, or something like that, somehow. Mm -hmm. Right. But then you couldn't make a story, let's say, about a very abstract topic, let's say, maybe let's say, stock market or oh, something? Oh, yes, you can. Of course you can. Uh, unless you brought in, like, human uh, fates. Not necessarily. Or, you can create very dramatic stories talking about technology. Otherwise, science like fiction would not be possible as a, as a literary oh, genre, yeah. okay. uh, particularly a hard science fiction, which tries to create emotions based on description of alien technologies and, you know, and discoveries mm -hmm. and stuff. Well, it's so even, the human even factor is not absolutely necessary. Well, if you read if you if you read, read all the tech stuff that I read, you know there's all this drama about Google versus Apple and Apple versus Samsung mm -hmm. and Microsoft and Google and you know mm -hmm. there's these are characters. You almost, have yeah. right; these are all characters, and they're they're in a battle, and there's you know there's stuff going on there all the time. So there is absolutely you can always mm -hmm. tell a story, and you can always make it interesting. I think no matter what what your um, uh, what your data is about. So I, I, I don't think that that's a problem. But, but I like by adding human between. motivations or human... Like, uh, if, if you say, like, Apple and Motorola are in a fight, you know, it's yeah, like... You're, you're, how do you say there's, like, a, a scientific word for that, but you impose human nature on something non-human, um, like... And anthropomorphizing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> we should look that Morphalizing, up. yeah, something... And I, I think that's totally valid. It's just we need to be aware that this sort of artificial, you know, it's like explaining again, the, that is the something that is something that we do naturally uh, and and unconsciously. And as you know, there is a lot of research uh, with babies in which babies are presented for, uh, with three uh, uh, random uh, abstract shapes: a circle, a triangle, and a cube, or so, or, mm. or, or a triangle, or whatever. And they see the triangle approach the square. And, and pushing quotation marks in there, the square to the side, and they 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 impose or they infer a a, a purpose to the uh, to the abstract shape. Oh, the triangle is trying to push the square because he doesn't like the square for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. we anthropomorph or size or whatever. You know, <laughs> we should look that up in Google. Yeah. Uh, uh, Naturally, yeah, but but it can be like it can be a misleading uh, reflex. Of course. So for oh, let's say you can explain thunder by gods being angry, yeah. or you have some knowledge of of uh, electromagnetism and acoustics. Well, that is paternity <laughs> and and, and yeah. unconscious yeah. storytelling. As I said before, it's something that we that we do that everybody does naturally. There is a lot of potential for mistakes and errors in there. One way to avoid them is, or several ways to avoid them, are annotation narratives in some cases and stories so you tell the story beforehand just to avoid the mistaken stories that readers can come up with oh man <laughs> there's no way i've been this argument <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> robert what's your take on the annotation narration story um spectrum is that a a, a categorization you could 
um, you could adopt, or is that aligns with your yeah, thinking? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. So m my thinking is mostly along, I guess, what what Alberto calls the narrative part. So the that that certainly and 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 the annotations. So that the the kind of the drama and and what then really becomes a story is not so much what I've been looking at uh, so far, but that that's certainly interesting and that's a good distinction, I think. It's not one that people are going to actually use because everybody uses that term storytelling and you know they don't care that much. But it's yeah, a clear thing. True. I think you having but having clear distinctions and having clear definitions and um, terms that really are a bit more well defined. It's obviously a good idea. And so the uh, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense to me. I totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I think we can shape how we how we use the language. I mean at least for us. I mean yeah, I think a lot of progress in in science is actually like just talking about how you use a certain word. I mean, and this is one of the, the most important words probably we have in, in, <laughs> in our field right now. So I'm, I'm glad we made a little progress there. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Enrico, what's your take? You have been quiet. You have been watching like the... <laughs> I've been enjoying the, the battle open. unfolding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really, I, really, I really like the sequence. I agree with Alberto, the idea of, of taking into account these three levels of annotations, narrative, and the old story. I don't know if Alberto, you are in necessarily implying that the third level might be somewhat bad. I don't know the way you. you no, I mean, uh, instilling right. the drama is not necessarily bad, right? Not necessarily. If you yeah. remember, if you remember one of the examples I include in my first book, which is one about population in Brazil versus fertility rates, that is. So it's a it's a graphic that that tells you well the population in Brazil grew. We can link to that. Uh, we can link to that graphic. But it says, well, the population in Brazil grew between this year and that year. So that is the opening. Then you have the conflict, but fertility rates are below expected. And then these are the consequences of fertility rate being so low, which is that the population will grow older and it will start shrinking. These are the consequences. And here's how to face that situation. Invest more on education now, educate the workforce. That's a story. And it has drama in it. It has an opening, it has a conflict, it has the consequences and the closure or the ending of the story. That's a story. So I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong. It's only that you have to be careful with it and only use it when it is appropriate and when structuring the story in a dramatic way makes sense and respects, the, uh, respects people's intelligence. That is the first thing. Don't try to unnaturally you know, make emotions arise in readers just for the sake of making them appear in there. I mean, just use the story, you know, with a purpose and when it is appropriate. Otherwise, stick to narrative yes, or to annotation. So annotation, narrative, story. Yeah. And, you There's know, for I, me, I think another reason for, like, um, not to do that too extensively in data visualization is just a very pragmatic one because I think... If you're in that very emotional like realm and you have a very clear-cut message to convey, mm -hmm. I think there might be even other media that might be more effective, like actually film or illustration or photography or you know something with an actual human voice. You know? So if, if, you ha if you have already identified your communication goal is highly emotional and very personal, mm -hmm. maybe a data visualization isn't your premier choice of medium at all. And I think, like, let's say the the home turf for visualization is, in my view, in the, anyways, in the more exploratory and the data heavy, you know, parts. And this is where 
where it's really strong and where no other medium can compete. So just from a, let's say, media competition perspective, I think there's an argument to be made not to go all crazy with emotive uh, data visualization. But you know, Moritz, I, still... I personally believe that it's going to take some time before people will be at large exposed to these more exploratory kind of visualizations. I, I think that for people like us, it comes so natural to think about visualization as an exploratory tool because we've sure. been doing that for, for ages. I mean, well, not ages, but at least for hmm. 10 years. 10 right? years. 10, 10 years. years. Right. 10 years yeah, is, yeah. Quite, is quite a lot, right? And so, still, I don't get many data visualizations. <laughs> <laughs> but at, at the same time, we have we have such a strong push for. So there is a large segment of the population right now has been exposed to a lot of visualization from the communication point of view, right? So for most people out there, those who have been exposed to visualization, visualization for them is a communication means, right? And there, sure. and and I guess that there is a large part of them who are still learning the language itself, right? As Robert mm -hmm. said, even a simple scatter plot can be somewhat problematic for some people. So I think yeah. in a way, so I used to be much more concerned in the past about this dichotomy dichotomy between exploratory tools and visualization mostly uh, described as a communication tool but i also mm. realized that that's going to come with time i mean it's 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 just a whole process and i think we have to be much much more yeah, um, patient right because I remember, for instance, when we had, uh, do you remember when we had Ben Schneiderman on the show? One thing that he said really struck me, right? Because he was kind of like, look, guys, we have to wait the next 50 years or 100 years or 200 <laughs> yeah, years, right? That's the kind of perspective that we have to use. And in a way, I, I kind of agree I with him. It's going to take some time. So, yeah, but uh, what especially I this exploratory is, yeah. angle. So I am, I am all for it. I think that. Mm. Visualization is a very, very powerful tool when we give it in the hands of people to explore their own data for their own purposes. But that's going to take a very long time. And in between, the only thing that we can do is to, in a way, educate people to, to use these tools in a way that is useful for them. And at the same time, develop tools that they are able to use, right? That's going to take a long, long time, I guess. Sure, sure. Perhaps and it has long been neglected, long. I, uh, no doubt. Um, Perhaps not that long, I think. Yeah. If you see the progress that has been made in my own realm, you know, in journalism, 10 years ago, it was almost impossible, or it was very mm. unusual to see a scatter plot in the newspaper. Right. It was right. very, very unusual. It was, I mean, people just, designers just stick to, you know, bar graphs, line charts, and that was it. Today, you see scatter plots, you see slope graphs, you see dot plots, and mm. in many cases, those are a, a completely interactive and exploratory. And it, depending on what the topic is, if the topic is relevant to the audience, the audience is willing to explore the data. Just think right. about the many visualizations about election results published by the main U.S. newspapers recently. Many of them are extremely complicated and have diff different layers of depths, and you can go deep, go to the county level, etc. And, and, and readers or audiences explore mm. them, just because mm. the topic matters. They to care about the topic. They care about the topic. So what? This is something that affects <laughs> me, or may affect me. That is the so what factor. Mm. No, but look, I think that... Another interesting aspect of this is people exploring their own data for their own purposes. When you have some kind of attachment to this data, the so what comes natural, right? Because whatever you see there, it's it's very much connected to your own 
maybe even to your personal life, right? So there are some data sets out there that talk about yourself. And these are the most powerful ones, right? The I, quantified I, self. Yeah, if you if you if you think about the old quantified self movement, that's huge, mm. right? And there is Simple not bar chart is suddenly super exciting yeah. because it's you. <laughs> yeah, it's you, right? Yeah. And then the yeah. what comes very natural. Mm. Mm. True. Yeah, and one thing, I mean, it has long been neglected to actually um, communicate your own visualization. So you can do a very exploratory visualization. If, as Alberto says, also communicate what it's about, why it's interesting, and how to get started, and uh, you know, and maybe this is also like a very obvious takeaway that uh, no matter how how complex or exploratory your visualization is, you will at least need some user guidance, anyways. You know, you're and passing to you're moving to the dark side, Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm totally fine with that. I, I just want to keep these levels sort of apart, you know, and and not. Uh, uh, so I, I think if flight patterns were made today, it would c probably come with 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 a little uh, guided tour and and a few uh, annotations. Well, it depends on the like in front of it. It because yeah. if it, if this were yeah. had been made by a journalist for for a, a newspaper or news medium, there would have been some sort of introduction to show you look look here are a few interesting things to exactly. look at. So mm. and I think and also I want to say something else here to kind of turn this around and say. Just because there is a lot of, of value in, in having narrative and having a story doesn't mean that we want to do away with exploration. So I think that, that this is also something that, that may also be kind of uh, get a bit over, over dramatized here. Is that we, 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 it's not about one or the other, but both really work together really well. And I think that's what I was trying to also say in my postings is that it's not about oh, exploration is over, we don't need it anymore because we have stories. That's not the point. The point is that exploration is great, but to get people in there and to have them uh, understand what this is about, to understand why they should care, so, that, so even the so what can be answered in part by a story. And, um, mm. and to introduce them to the data and to the visualization and to the interaction and all the different pieces they need to successfully explore and kind of the, the overall background of the whole thing that's where the narrative can be extremely helpful and a story and a, a, I guess a bit of a drama as well can be very helpful and that, that's really where, where this comes in. It's not, not about one thing being better or you know, the, the, a different thing than the other. It's just about those, those pieces all fitting together and making sense together. I wonder oh, what, so I wonder what uh, Santiago Ortiz thinks about this conversation. He listens, yeah, yeah. He listens to, to this podcast and writes something <laughs> in the comments or records his, you know, his take on this, because I believe that he will have a completely different view. Never uh, provoke was, Santiago. <laughs> I, I did that in tapestry, in the tapestry conference. <laughs> I remember that. He was very yeah, maybe we should have him back on. I think yeah. I, I do agree. I think he has a more liberal reading of the word story and one yeah. that is probably closer to my world notion than a traditional story notion. And it's uh, there's something to it as well, for mm -hmm. sure. Cool. I wow. think we need to wrap it up here, otherwise yeah. people's ears will fall off. More than an hour. <laughs> They're bleeding. <laughs> yeah, but this was amazing. Thank you, guys. Amazing. Very Thank you. insightful. Thank you. For podcast. me, it's now much better. I mean, I feel much better. So <laughs> <Good>. That's something. <laughs> yeah. We found yeah some send us your comments. Mail at Data Stories. Leave some comments on the blog. Tweet us on Twitter. Yeah. Facebook us on Facebook. <laughs> 
send comments, emails, whatever channel yeah. is good. Plus us on Google. Yeah. <laughs> and greet us on the street. Hear you all soon. Yeah. All okay. Right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great as usual. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.